Keeping it real on cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon and welcome to the Health Hour. I'm Dr. Jonathan Witts. I'll be with you for the next hour as always. And uh, some great stuff coming up on the show today. Obviously, I'll insert as usual with Catherine Child from uh, the Times, health journalist there. And then uh, discussing diets and a bit of LCHF banting. Uh, and we'll find out more about that uh, with my guest, Nahama Brody, who's in studio today. Uh, but first, let's uh, chat to Catherine. Catherine, can you hear me? I can hear you. How are you today? All right, yourself? Good, thank you. You said you were feeling a bit unwell. No, I'm not feeling great. I've taken a day off work. And I'm <laughs> All right, good, good, good move, good move. And some drugs, I hope. Uh, um, sir? Yeah, so what you got uh, for us this week? Well, we've tried to, a whole bunch of British doctors who are the same people that um, banned, got the government to ban smoking in front of a child in a car, so they have been successful before, have decided um, that they want the government to ban anyone who was born in the year 2000 or after not able to buy a cigarette when they turn 18. So in Britain, you can only get a cigarette when you're 18. You can't buy them at 16. Okay. they are saying in 2018 when 18-year-olds who were born in 2000, they should be banned from buying cigarettes because you started when you're a teenager and then you become an adult. And you're so they're banned forever. So pretty much the rest forever. of your life, you can never buy a cigarette. Yes, because of when you were born. Mm. And the problem is then people are saying, well, in 2035, like you're going to have someone who is allowed to smoke because they were born, say, a year earlier and someone who isn't. And how do you tell the difference? I mean, how do you tell the difference between a 19-year-old born in 99 and an 18-year-old Oh, it's just a bit more of nanny statism. Yes, and um, and this is doctors, people like you, the same people. Who ah, got don't the, say people like me. <laughs> okay, well, you people. For it. People who got the government to ban smoking in public places, and I think it was 2000 in Britain, the yes. same people who want to do this. And they've been called um, preposterous and discriminatory. Which I have to agree with. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with, even though I'm not a fan of smoking, obviously, I I, uh, I think that is quite discriminatory, actually. And you can't really control what people buy, unless you're going to ban the substance, of course, which I, which they won't do, because probably most of the people making the laws like a good pipe or cigar now and then. That's ridiculous. I actually agree with the Tobacco Manufacturers Association, who call it a poorly thought-out tobacco control measure. Sure. It's definitely totally Slippery slope when we start agreeing with the tobacco lobbyists. That's very worrying. But, I mean, <laughs> we're not, before we laugh at England, here in South Africa, we had a story on Monday in the Times that I found that it is illegal to sell an e-cigarette over the counter. So they can only be sold in pharmacies with a doctor's script, which no one follows. I mean, you can just buy it in clicks in the front of the house. You can buy an e-cigarette at, the farm, at a garage shop, actually. So we have a law banning them completely without a doctor's script. It's been called Schedule 3, and no one follows it, so... Yeah, I think it's a retarded law anyway, but... Uh, it's a but, stupid law, but why make it if you're not going to enforce it? Ah, come on. That's, that, you know the answer to that. You know the answer to that. Tell me what's happening in Gauteng hospitals. Oh, so it seems like the only thing the health minister can do is make laws. But when it comes to actually running the health department, the Gauteng um, hospitals are not great, but they're not as bad as the Free State. And they've been, the, the new Minister of Infrastructure has been visiting housing hospitals and just popping in to see how they are. Last week, she um, visited Charlotte McPhege and um, noticed that the lifts were broken. I, oh, I don't know about you, but she's what, taken about 12 years. I think they when I started studying at medical school, they were broken. I 
can't even write a story about broken lifts anymore because it's no longer new and new has to be new because they're always broken. Anyway, she noticed four of the newly fixed lifts, the brand new ones, were also broken. And they fixed about eight and half mm. of them are already broken. No, they bought new lifts, but they bought Chinese lifts uh, instead of going with tried and trusted German stuff. Uh, and uh, obviously that, that didn't work out too well either. No, not at all. The and instructions are, I've seen the instruction manual for those lifts because when they installed them, I was there and they're all in Chinese, literally. Oh, so they probably bought the cheapest lifts and now none of them work. Well, you know, tenders being what they are. And uh, what else, what other conditions did she find other than broken lifts? I assume she well, looked at some of the patient care. Well, she did at Barra. She, she said the sanitation was terrible. And I must say, I snuck around Barra myself and didn't find it too dirty. It was just overcrowded. But she said the maternity wards were shocking. And the sewage leaks, which we reported on, I went and found a sewage leak there about three mm-hmm. months ago, I think. And um, she thought the state of that hospital was terrible. I know the pe- one of the pediatric wards has a roof that's caving in, a ceiling that's caving in. Yeah. Right now where the little child has to use the toilet. That's so that's just an accident waiting to happen. I suppose it's dependent on your reference point. So if she's comparing it to anything private in this country, then it does look absolutely terrible. But I tend to agree with you. Most of the wards, uh, with given what they have, aren't, aren't taken care of too badly. They weren't, I mean, the hospital, the windows wouldn't open in the one child children's ward, but the hospital itself was clean. Like, clearly the staff were doing their job. And yeah. it was very overcrowded. They're doing the best they can. I think the people, some of the people that work hardest are the cleaners, actually. But um, she was horrified at the state of the infrastructure, and she should be. That hospital was falling apart. Um, yeah. I don't know if she's going to so, do anything. So other than driving around, probably with a blue light brigade to different hospitals, is she going to actually, she suggested any solutions to the problems? No, I don't think so. I just think she said things need to be fixed, like the lifts and the linen cleaners, because, you know, those break too. Mm-hmm. But um, it always comes down to money. I mean, a story we did last week is that um, Joburg Gen Hospital, Charlotte Manspeke, we say it's like an umlungu, yeah. um, they weren't able to buy the equipment for the year. They they um, ordered 53 million rands worth of equipment, and Housing Health kept the money, and they didn't get the x-ray machines and scanners they wanted. And it's their budgeted equipment money. It wasn't extra. Stuff wasn't bought. And now there's a shortage of scanning and diagnostic equipment. And basically, the problem is it isn't money. So it was withheld from them. So I don't know where this money goes. But but it's worse in the free state. Apparently, there's no medicines there at the moment. Okay. A few hundred med- essential medicines that the state of stock are out of stock in the depots. People are lying in the hospitals and they're dying because there isn't basic treatment. So the DA has gone to the Human Rights Commission to complain about the few states, the health department, because it's basically dysfunctional and there's no medicine. Yeah. So, your know, I a little bit better. There might be lifts that aren't working, but you do get your medicine. <laughs> a little bit better on a spectrum of, of, of uh, uh, absolutely words. disgusting to, to terrible. Well, probably mind is even worse because there's no food in the hospitals there. <laughs> so I don't know what the health minister is doing, but... um. It's just in case on the curatorship, and the job of the curator, which they're busy looking for, is to make sure that the hospitals have food, water, and clean linen. Oh, makes you think, so we're on the bottom right of now? Maslow's hierarchy we're, we're, yeah. we're, when it comes to hospitals, eh? <laughs> right. It's a tough job. And, anyway. and what else is uh, anything else happening? Anything happy? I think you have to um, look at the private hospitals for happy news. Ah, uh, okay. Unfortunately, all right. So, so nothing, nothing happy, nothing, nothing too exciting this week. No sex studies. Nothing, nothing too exciting. It just looks like one hospital after the next, after the next is collapsing. Right. I was quite happy with the story of um, a doctor who's now suing. So I don't know about you, but doctors get complained about a lot, 
and they're all having to pay a huge medical insurance yeah, because everybody wants to see we them. Actually, you actually need to have a show on that, but uh, a lot of doctors, I had a friend complaining on Facebook last night about the cost of the obstetrician uh, but uh, and the fact that the medical aides don't want to f- pay in full. Uh, and I don't think people realize that obstetricians, for example, pay 350,000 rand a year in insurance. It means they have to deliver between 20 and 40 babies just to pay their insurance. Before they've even started. So yep. before the rent, yeah, it can go up to 400,000 now. Mm-hmm. So here's the gynae association said to me, I better have babies soon because in five years there won't be any gynae left. Yeah, it's probably going to become a thing whereby you'll be delivered by a midwife because it's harder to sue them. Uh, and uh, the, the a lot of the doctors who are obstetrician gynecologists are moving towards gynae because the risk of being sued there is uh, less and people just will not accept that they can give birth to a baby who's not 100% normal. Well, their definition of normal. Blame the doctor. Yep. So um, they looked, it was last year, the lady from Stenbosch, um, mm. Dr. Bridget Strachan, looked at how many people were becoming gynees. So she counted the registrars yeah. working with the association, and it was extremely low. So that's what they were saying in about 10 years' time. We're just not going to have gynees because too few people are specializing because they're going to get sued, and why bother? So yep. No, it's absolutely true. I know colleagues who were going to specialize in OBS gynee and have. have, have Steered away from it for that reason. We've got a similar problem uh, with neurosurgery now, which also is paying in the region of 400,000 rand a year um, in terms of insurance, simply because yeah, so a lot of what they pay. do is so high risk. Well, we're to blame then, because we're not going to have doctors anymore. Yeah, doctor, just you're depressing the hell out of me. Because <laughs> we keep wanting to see you. <laughs> this doctor is suing the family who complained about him. Okay, so great. Dr. Singh, and he was um, treating... Amitad Rajbansi, the minority front in the yes. who died of heart problems. Yes. And who was they, old and had heart problems. Yeah, he had heart problems from 1987, and he died in 2011. <laughs> yeah. So he lived for, I'm just trying to do the math, 14 years, I think, if I'm well, right. That was good rearranging of deck chairs on a sinking ship. <laughs> so they complained about him to the HBCSA. It took what, you do. Like, almost two years to fix, uh, to sort it out. Mm-hmm. HBCSA said no, this doctor was not unprofessional. He should have put to the pacemaker, which he did, and the guy just died basically, and it's not the doctor's fault. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Singh well, is now suing the family who he said were never in a single one of the doctor's appointments that he where, where he was treating the patient and knew nothing. So he's suing them for defamation. Definitely, definitely a topic we have to have on a future show. Thanks yeah, for how you doctors get sued for nothing. Absolutely. Thanks a, thanks a lot. Feel better. Thanks, all. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> Good idea. Thanks. We'll. Uh, you're going to have a break, eh? Hey? You're going away. I'm going to Germany to um, hear Nobel laureates speak on medicine. I'm a little bit nervous because I don't know what they're going to say if I'm going to understand them. But yeah. All right. No, you'll understand them. I'm sure. Uh, well, some of them. Some of them are prob- probably will speak to the floor, but uh, I'm sure there'll be one or two with a bit of charisma. Well, I'll let you know what the German Research Institutes are like. We're going to the University of Tübingen, and they've got a giant vagina statue outside. Yes, that's the one the guy got his head stuck into. The one got stuck, the guy got oh, no, stuck into. Oh, no, his feet. Into. Was it his feet or his head? No, it was his feet. It was an American. Oh. Only an American goes to Germany to get stuck in a German Only vagina. Only an American goes feet first. <laughs> and 22 firefighters later. So I'll take a pic. I'm not going to get stuck there, but I'll tell you what Yeah, take a photo <laughs> next to the giant vagina. I'll do that. I'll tweet it when we get back. Okay, have a good have a good time, eh? Bye. Cheers. Right, so thank you to Catherine Childs. You can follow her on Twitter, at Kat Jane Childs. She's the uh, health journalist from the Times. Does the news with us every week. 
So up next, my guest in studio, Nahama Brody, a journalist and writer. Uh, and uh, before I let her take the airwaves, I uh, just want to let you know you can give us a call on 0861-555-189. Uh, you can message us on WeChat, the Cliff Central official account, and obviously the Twitter account, which is at cliffcentral.com. Uh, and then obviously you're welcome to uh, get hold of me on my Twitter account at Jonathan underscore Wit or Nakama's Twitter account at Brody Gal. Uh, that's D I E Gal. Right, Nakama, <laughs> welcome to studio. Hello, Jonathan. I don't have to call you Dr. Witt, do I? No, no one has to call me Dr. Fantastic. Witt. Only the ones that irritate me. You okay. don't irritate well, me. Well, everybody seems to irritate you. I was thinking if I, <laughs> if I was in a suing mood, I'd probably sue you after the last few days of watching you engage on Twitter. Yes. So I suppose we are here today to talk about low-carb, high-fat eating. Essentially, or banting. Or banting. It's called a lot of different names at the moment. And the reason why you've asked me in to talk about this is a couple of months ago, I published a story in Men's Health South Africa Absolutely. on low-carb, high-fat eating, and that story came out online. You can view it on the Men's Health website now. It's up now. And since that story came out, so let me tell you, in the last year, I I, I specialize in pissing off white men, apparently, <laughs> because I'm I'm also being sued at the Human Rights um, uh, Commission for insulting white men. Um I have taken more flack for writing about low-carb, high-fat than I have for writing about the myth of white genocide in this country. And it's been an interesting experience as a journalist. And I need to say up front that I'm a journalist. I am not an expert. I'm not an expert in human nutrition. I'm not a medical doctor. I interview people for a living. Mm. I went and found people who were experts in these things and asked them really uh, how we should be eating now. And what would happen if a normal human, you know, an adult male, because I was writing for Men's Health, if we started eating low-carb, high-fat, what would happen? And that was based on their understanding of the evidence that we have currently. This is what I wrote about in my article. So they looked at, they explained these concepts to me sort of on a broad level because we have uh, food-based dietary guidelines in South Africa, which are Department of Health issues. And they yes. kind of, they, they're they pretty broad, actually. They sort of say more of this, less of that, but they don't say exactly it, it should be, you no. know, X many grams. And when these guidelines are developed, I think what's also important to remember is that food is just one of many factors that can influence our health. So whether or not you smoke, whether or not you have a family history of heart disease or or anything really, the amount, um, of, where you, you do. The amount of exercise is very important. Where you live, um, you know, the other pollutants in the atmosphere. I mean, honestly, whether you drink too much alcohol, especially for a lot of South Africans, we we know we like to drink. All of these things play a role. So it's not just about your diet. And I think. Um, that's an important thing. We can kind of park that off for later. But so they, they spoke about why these dietary guidelines get issued on a population level. Mm. Um, and then they spoke about on an individual level, really how we need to take our own individual factors into account, not just our health background, where we live and how we live, but also what is your budget like? How much can you spend every month on food oh, so to th- actually make a nutritious sort of meal for you, for your family? Um, and also what's, what is, what is your palate like? So what really, do you like eating? It's a really good point, which, probably hasn't been investigated a lot, which is the financial side of, of diet. The financial side of diet, also the implications in terms of the environment. Um, I mean, so the so a whole bunch of things came up. Yes, and absolutely. This is, so the bottom line, I, I think everybody should really go and read the article because the experts, their words are in there and they say things much better than I can. But there is a lot of concern about the way uh, low-carb, high-fat eating is being 
promoted in South Africa in particular at the moment, and that maybe people aren't thinking about it enough, that we're not being cautious enough, we're not taking our own factors, our own health and wellness factors into account. Um, and anybody who speaks out against this low-carb, high-fat eating is also immediately shot down as if you're sort of personally attacking the leader of the group, really, who's Professor Tim Noakes, who's a sports scientist, mm-hmm. um, who's an incredibly well-respected sports scientist and has done amazing work with athletes and to do with running for, for many, many years. And it yeah, was absolutely. Tim's rediscovery of this low-carb, high-fat eating lifestyle, which he bases on a, a 19th century British diet that was you know, used by a guy called Banting. That was um, why it became known as the Banting diet. And... Um, Somewhere along the line, we've all gotten confused. We've confused the science with the person. So to question the science of eating low carbohydrate, high fat is seen mm. as being a direct challenge against Professor Tim Noakes, which is really not Absolutely. the same case. I mean, and he's 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 really taken the, taken it forward. So essentially, he, he's he's uh, co-authored a book on uh, on on the diet. Essentially, uh, Professor Noakes has spoken out quite prominently about it, and I understand. I mean, for those of us. Okay, so let me my own story because mm. again, I'm I'm not a nutrition expert, so I can't actually answer anybody's questions. I think I, think I, I want to just say that neither is Prof Noakes. Um, he's a science, uh, sports science expert, and I would never ever have an argument. I don't have enough body of knowledge to have an argument with him on sports science, for example. Yeah. Um, but I certainly feel that when it comes to diet, just from my own perspective, um, we're we're kind of approaching it on a similar level because we both have a medical background, certainly yeah. not a nutritional background, and we're both reading um, the same type of evidence around the subject. So I think that's also what's what's important. Uh, you know, um, Tim is a very charismatic guy and uh, very persuasive, and uh, he's taken this as as his new sort of crusade, and he's he's certainly done well with it, I would say. Yeah. So let's talk about your. Well, I think, so maybe what we should do for now is, I understand a lot of people really like Professor Tim Noakes, and I understand also that this diet that he's put forth has has already had a a measurable impact on a lot of people's lifestyles. I want to separate that out. Let's just talk about what is low-carb, high-fat. Let's talk about how we embrace new ideas, trends, and what do we really know about this. And also, what are the messages people are getting? I'm not an expert, but I've been writing about health for nearly 20 years, and I'm very aware of how limited my expertise is. I also know that working in women's magazines, working in newspapers, the messages that are communicated to people are hellishly confusing, especially right now. It's hard to separate what is the right thing to do, what's the right thing to choose. I also know personally what it feels like when something happens that triggers your body, that pushes you into a new space where Mm. maybe you lose weight, you look good, you feel good. You can become almost religious about it. I mean, you know the joke about CrossFit. It's like, how do you know somebody does CrossFit? They tell They'll you about tell it. You. CrossFit, we, we, we can laugh that CrossFit is a bit of a cult. After I had my kids um, a couple of years ago when I took up boxing, I mean, I became ridiculously fit and lost quite a lot of weight that I'd accumulated through the process of having children. And it, it really is. It, it's like you want to tell everyone about it. This is the most awesome thing ever. Mm. So I've discovered – I've discovered this age-old, it's it's a magic secret, it's called exercise, okay? So I discovered exercise. <laughs> but in your way, yeah. In my way, and yeah. it suited me, and really I, I've tried to sell that same concept to lots of people, lots of women. I guess it doesn't work for everybody. So I understand the enthusiasm, and there is a lot of proof that shows that this low-carb, high-fat eating does trigger, I think maybe the primary thing that we're obsessed with as South Africans is our weight. We are. I think the world is obsessed with that. 
But the world is obsessed. But in South Africa, we're obese as a country. We have a massive problem with weight. And so something that, especially if you struggle to lose weight, to suddenly be given this like, here is the answer you've been looking for your whole life. And it's like, you can eat as much meat and fat and bacon and little piggy bits as you want to. <laughs> seriously, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm kind of, um, doing a kind of a slangish translation, but that's what it says. That's yeah. No, it's really nice stuff. And There's lots of butter. It's all good taste. You can rich eat all food. of that and still lose weight. It's like, this is awesome. Um, and it is if your only objective is to lose weight short term. Absolutely. So the problem is when you start looking beyond that. Uh, and I think what we need to say is, first of all, we just don't know enough about what the long-term effects are of eating low-carb, high-fat. That's my, my main concern with it, actually, is and specifically the, the high-fat part. And, and I often get berated because people assume because I'm against LCHF, I must be for high carbs. And I'm not for high carbs. And I, I don't think anyone is. I, I, I'm yet to come across a dietitian, a doctor, yeah. who says that you should be stuffing your face with carbs. So also on the Men's Health website, I did a companion, it's only online, a companion piece that looked at what fats should you be eating. Because there's not one, so I spoke to three in the course of my article, and I've also, I've been criticized for not getting um, a, a, a low-carb, high-fat expert. And I explained the first time the article came out, I was like, no, I got experts on human nutrition. By default, be- they are experts on all areas of human nutrition. Be- it's not low carb, it's not high carb, yeah. it's not, but they're a human nutrition That expert. was because you went out to do an article on what we should be eating, not yes. necessarily on LCHF. Right. It's just that the fad at the moment the is LCHF. Is un- unpacking that. So I spoke to three different experts on human nutrition from three different universities in South Africa. I spoke to a cardio, a, a cardio specialist who's ex-South African, now based in the States. These all, they all work mostly in sort of a, a public arena, in an academic environment. Yep. But none of them were anti-fat, really. I mean, I think the, the worst you could say the dietary or the human nutrition community is guilty of at the moment is they preach moderation. But in everything, actually. It's not just moderate amounts of fats. It's also moderate amount of carbs. And I think this is a bigger question is wh- one of the things that strikes me about this sort of banting diet is it preaches gluttony. You can eat as much fat as you want. So long as you don't yeah. eat any carbs, you'll be fine. As many and calories as you want. You well, can have 5,000 calories It removes day, you from the, the concept yes. of calorie counting. It's Absolutely. just basically pig out literally on a – Eat you know, all you full. Eat – just go for it, but like dive in there and eat as much bacon as you can stomach. And I think one of the reasons well, when I when I look at sort of health writing and writing about food over the years is we have completely lost the plot. We don't actually know how to eat. We don't know how to eat anymore. We don't know how to eat until we actually feel okay. We want gluttony. We want to be. We want something that can um, allow us to pig out and still lose weight. And there's there are scientific reasons why you would initially lose weight on a high fat zero-carb diet, yes. um, even if you picked out on fats. And the randomized controlled trials that have been done on diet show that basically any diet you go on will cause weight loss. That includes diets that include that have high-carb but maybe yeah. exclude proteins and other things. Essentially, every diet can make you lose weight. Um, I think the, the, the biggest question is it's a lifestyle change, and yeah. if you're going to stick with that over a long period of time, what is that diet going to do to you in 20 years' time? So this is where the concern comes in um, from people in general. And I think this is where, again, we need to remember that diet is so individual. As much as our palates are individual, I hate bananas. Really. I, I really hate <laughs> bananas, okay? I Like, they are my least favorite food in this world. Um, 
but other people love. I'm just saying it's that individual. Diet mm. is incredibly individual thing. I'm also a different person. I am a 38-year-old woman. My body is shaped this way. I exercise like that. This is my family history. My nut- but you know because I exercise a lot, uh, my nutritional requirements are going to be very very different to a 38-year-old woman who doesn't exercise the same way that I do or who has a different body structure to me. We're not the same. What I eat, you know, what's good for me is not mm. necessarily what's good for you. And, and when and even Professor Noakes has actually be very clearly, although sometimes I feel like it's too much in the fine print, but he has said that this banting is not for everybody. Mm. Um, it's an individual thing. It suits people with what he calls uh, insulin resistance or carbohydrate resistance, which yeah. is a whole other thing maybe you can talk about if you want to. But first of all, we forget that diet is individual. And and that's a very important thing. And if you have concerns, let's say you want to lose weight or you have a health issue that you think you need to work with through diet, the best way to address that is working with a nutrition expert, not kind of like, I'm going to read some stuff on the internet and figure yeah. out what's the right thing for me. Because the internet is the worst doctor. I mean, yeah, aside, absolutely. Well, and, and, and also, it's, it's <laughs> and uh, there's a quote. Uh, and it's uh, it's also full of hyperbole. And and so are the so is the news media in general. Uh, you know, uh, even covers of magazines. You know, they sell magazines by saying, you know, lose weight fast, or you know, your latest fitness plan, or, or what happened, whatever it happens the, to be. The criticism I've had from this article. I mean, really, I've been quite astounded. I have had uh, people who I know who obviously didn't realize it was me writing the article slag me off on Facebook. Who is this known staff reporter, gutter journalism, <laughs> utterly irresponsible. Well, you're a bad journalist, um, like I'm a bad doctor. And see. I had this article reviewed by four people and checked before I even submitted it. Anyway, what I really made I took great lengths to make sure that there was accuracy in there. It's not an anti-fat article. Mm. It's just not pro-low-carb, high-fat. And I think people are like so freaked out by that notion. So, um, I forgot where I was going. With this. No, okay. no problem. But so, so in your in 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 the article and in all the research you've done, um, obviously I have some input on this. But what is essentially the opinion? And obviously that's evidence based from people who are nutritionists, people who are cardiologists. What's the opinion on on why we shouldn't be eating this sort of high levels of fat? Okay, I remembered what I was going to say. So I'll get I'll okay. answer your question in a sec. What I was going to say is um, the really vicious responses that I've had have been once this has gone online mm. and not in print. And this again sort of drives home that the internet is, is really a, a, a weapon for, for ill if it's used badly and none of us are experts. So what happens is on all the experts crept out on Facebook Yes. and that's where I've been attacked the most yeah. because we all have access to medical articles or journals or studies or mostly abstracts of studies, mostly we can't and read that's a studies. Huge problem, it's actually. a huge problem, but I mean, if I can understand basic lingo and I'm still not getting what's going on there, mm. really, we, we can't sit and read through these studies and decide for ourselves what it means, what an analysis of you know data from 800,000 people actually means in the real world. Yes. Instead of just instead of just big, this is not about big data. This is about people. We're yes. actually people and we're individuals. So first of all, I, I think that. The internet is a scary place when it comes to this, and I don't think the internet is our, our friend. Knowledge is great, but but I think that we need we need filters. Well, this is why we it's have interpretation experts. of knowledge. Uh, the reality is that the whole of medicine, as an example, is on the internet, but you still go to a doctor. Yeah. And I, I, I've seen people try to treat themselves off the internet. Right. And they very often get it very very wrong. So um, so the questions that we're asking now is first of all, we said earlier, actually, this whole thing about fat being bad. I'm interested in exploring how that sort of meme emerged. 
as it is as it's understood now. So in the 70s, what was kind of put forward was this idea that uh, saturated fats were responsible for heart disease, and so we should cut out saturated fats. And this kind of dietary model was put forward where, I suppose in a sense, the, the theory was that fats should be eliminated. But um, this may this is this has been sort of uh, turned into hyperbole by yeah. by the high fat lobby now, because to be the way nutritionists speak now, there is no low fat um, proponent. It's an individualized thing, depending on the individual. You know, one forty year old man with heart with a history of heart disease or stroke is completely different to a forty year old man Absolutely. who has no history. So it, it's very much about tailoring for the individual rather than just for everybody. And there is no fat is evil. Um, Time I think mag- in general Time there's no fat cover is evil. now has this whole thing the war on fat is over and somebody was, wrote a great blog which was like there never was a war exactly I and have to ah, do with that where it's interesting is there never was a war I think from nutritionists human nutritionists dietitians maybe from physicians as well where there was a, some kind of a battleground is marketing there's, food marketing this has nothing to do with what medical science is actually telling you but what sells really well is okay fat's scary we're going to yeah. tell everybody about this low fat milk. stuff. Fat, low-fat yogurt, which has like tons of sugar. And, anyway, so this whole low-fat thing, it's a fantastic marketing concept. It really is. Yeah, and, no, and, it has been. Um, you know, from the time I learned how to start reading food labels years ago, and I was still writing for women's magazines mostly, was this idea of like low-fat doesn't mean low-calorie. It doesn't mean it's healthy. It just yeah. means it's been produced to sell it to well, you as low-fat. Well, they're sweets with low-fat no fat in them, but there's exactly. tons so, of sugar so, so in there. So we've created this sort of ridiculous situation where, I mean, wow. Yeah, you can have zero fat. It can be completely fat-free, but completely food. It's nutrition-free as well. It's it's valueless <laughs> as food. And... Um, so, so this is where we have this kind of hyperbole of where fat sits in the public mind. But in the mind of the nutritionists and the experts that I spoke to, fat is not the enemy. It just needs to be individualized and it needs to be consumed with moderation, the same as all of our other food groups. Moderation, balance, variety. Yeah. That was what they spoke about. So when we, so first of all, fat is not the enemy and it actually never was. Not in the way that it's been polarized now. The sure, and, and no one uh, – I, I know there's this almost conspiracy theory that uh, in the late 60s and early 70s, uh, a whole bunch of uh, lobby groups and doctors and everyone sat in a room together almost and, and decided on this sort of war, as you, as you say. And I just, I just think people need to realize that certainly isn't the case. And, and well, I mean, I think we can probably look and find economically, strategically, in terms of branding and marketing, there are a lot of contributing factors that create that polarized fat or demonized sugar and – this is, again, this is kind of a systemic of us as a society. What we want to do is we want to say, I am fat because those lobbyists made me fat. Yes, it's not what I ate. It's not me. It's not me. It's not the stuff that I It's not the fact that I haven't done exercise. It's, it's you. You did this to me. And, AFC and, made me fat. And it, it just kind of doesn't really work that way. But, it, but I mean, that's sort of a bigger discussion. Yes. What, what the nutritionists have been looking at now is, well, what I asked them is, what happens if we eat low-carb, high-fat for a long time? And mm. so one of the things that happens is vegetables have carbohydrates in them. So as part of this low-carb, high-fat diet, a lot of vegetables are excluded. Um, from what you're allowed to eat. There are that you are. You know, I think the, the low-carb veggies, like I, I don't Spinach, even know what they I are. Think. You're allowed to eat those, but there's a whole bunch of veggies that you have to cut out. Um, and obviously there's a high consumption of sort of fatty foods, so maybe there's less fiber coming into your diet. You're not getting – like I said, I'm not the expert. I'm giving a my understanding of a potted Absolutely. version. And so there are concerns, obviously, that uh, – um, okay, so one of the side effects of low-carb, high-fat eating is, is constipation, usually, which passes as your system adjusts. And, I mean, it's it's a remarkable that Professor Noakes has spoken at quite great length about how he has made his bowel habits regular, which is great for sharing, but also, like, 
ah, oh, it's too much information. <laughs> and but so so but this lack of fiber could have other impacts. So what what I was told, and this is all there in my article, is there are concerns that this could have influence. This could influence um other kind of malignant developments in terms of our stomachs, in terms of our digestive system. So types of cancers. We we don't really know yeah. what happens when you t- you you take away good sources of fiber mm. that are known to have protective effects on the and, gut. And there is some evidence uh, from Japan, as an example, that. Uh, uh, high, uh, high diets high in protein, specifically the beef side of things, can potentially increase cancers, stomach cancers, and things like that. Um, so, so the, again, the, we need stuff. more. We need more information. So, mm. you know, but the other big concern, and this is spoken about a lot, is whether or not dietary fats will um, influence your risk of heart disease, cardiovascular disease. And that's a um, that's a big debate around this, which debate. is the cholesterol debate yeah. and the statin debate. Yeah. And, and all of that. And uh, there's so many conspiracy theories around there as well. And what was quite interesting is um, one of the experts I spoke to is a, a guy called Dr. Jacques Rousseau. He's based in the States now. He's South African. Him and Tim Noakes don't like each other very much. I think I can quite fairly say that. Um, but Dr. Rousseau mentioned a bunch of studies in, uh, uh, well, in Sweden where they'd gone from uh, – they, in Sweden they'd had very high risks of cardiovascular disease. Yep. So they'd switched to a – low-fat, high-carb eating system, okay. their obesity had continued to rise. And at some point, the population, um, and I've been grilled on whether or not this was official policy or not, but population eating habits had tilted back towards a high-fat um, eating base. And Dr. Rousseau commented that even with a high-fat eating sort of program, the uh, obesity rates in the country had continued to rise. And he expected, and we will see, we don't know, he expected that cholesterol levels and heart disease levels, well, uh, cardiovascular disease levels would start to rise again. Um, so he, there are a whole bunch of correlations there. Again, that, the heart disease thing is um, its tricky because when you discuss that with Tim Noakes, um, Prof Noakes basically says, well, Dr. Rousseau's agenda is he's sponsored by drug companies and Dr. Rousseau is a, a pimp of statins. Um, <laughs> and so he can't be expected to make an honest or an unbiased statement about sort of yeah. diet. And, and it's, it's hellishly confusing. I mean, even for me, I said I didn't discuss statins in my article for that reason because yes. it, it's so. Well, statins is a, is potentially a, an entire that Exactly. Debate. So, but, but again, it, this points to another thing is that diet doesn't just have one effect. It's not like you eat lots of meat and then you get heart disease or you don't. It's, yes. you don't know if it's going to impact on your heart disease risk or on cancers or on diabetes, which is another issue. And diabetes, again, is sort of twofold because it's linked to your body weight um, and also your diet. So the fats that you are. And your genetics. I think, and your genetics. I think so there's so a whole bunch of it's like, so ah, important you know? is to understand that actually diet is just one component of so many things that affect you yeah. in terms of your health. And, you know, there's diet, there's exercise, uh, there's um, your genetics, which probably, I mean, as an example with someone like Prof Noakes who developed diabetes. Yeah. Uh, he's never particularly been overweight uh, in terms of, uh, you know, I've, I've met him once or twice and, uh, uh, yeah. you know, I've, I've seen him lecture and, and, and I never would have thought, I never would have described him as an overweight kind of guy. He's run a lot of marathons. Mm. And uh, so, you know, he obviously had something else against him. He believes that that's obviously the yeah. fact that he ate carbs. Yeah. Uh, I would say that that's probably quite a genetic factor, uh, a genetic component to that. Um, let's take a break for okay. a few yes. minutes and uh, then when we back... Um, continue chatting uh before we go please give us a call 0861-555-189 or you can send us a message on wechat or the twitter account cliffcentral.com
Right, and we're back uh, chatting with Nakama Brody about uh, low-carb, high-fat. Her article essentially on uh, nutrition and what we should be eating, uh, which went out to, to answer that question, but obviously had to confront the, the, the main sort of uh, thrust at the moment in terms of uh, diet and, and where a lot of South Africans are at, uh, which is the low-carb, high-fat uh, debate. And so uh, yeah, A lot of people back. who have responded to me, who haven't told me how awful I am at my job and, and, <laughs> and everything like that, but a lot of people have said, well, what's the verdict? Is it good or bad? And mm. based on the interviews that I've completed, there is no official uh, – I mean, I can't find anybody at an official level who's saying it's a good thing. And there are certain elements of banting that are probably worth considering, and I'll discuss those in a moment. But what everybody's saying now is – there are potential dangers here that we don't know enough about. You should be cautious. Yeah. And especially you, and everybody should sort of individualize within any recommendations. And I think those are, those are critical. Nobody wants to go out there and say, this is evil or um, Professor Noakes is evil or anybody who hates Professor Noakes is evil. This is not about hating. And this is not about individuals who are pu- pushing one diet or another. This is, again, about what's right for you. And this is about what, is the, what, is, what does science tell us? And science is not actually confusing at the moment. What it does, it's not, it's not giving us mixed messages. What it's saying is you need to research more in there. That's not mixed message. Yeah. That's go find more information. That's so, different. So the most important thing for anybody who's considering this is Go and get more information from a good source. Don't go Wikipedia it. Don't go read crazy mar- – and when I say crazy marginalized scientists, there are a lot out there, and I'm sorry, but they also need to be positioned as such. If it's a bestseller on Amazon, you can pretty much be sure that it doesn't probably uh, sort of explain the science very well. Um, I, I was reading a, a, an, an article which was written, uh, admittedly a blog, but it, 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 uh, it did reference appropriately, and – Essentially saying uh, one of the one of the um, uh, sort of evil men that's been described in all of this is a guy by the name of Ansel Keys, uh, who described back in the 50s, uh, presented a paper at Mount Sinai Hospital um, and described initially what was thought to be fat causing cardiovascular disease mm. and taking evidence from. You know, several countries that were available at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. since and, whole, and all uh, of this stuff. And essentially, essentially, what happened is, is uh, Gary Tobes uh, wrote a book, which was a very good selling, still good, good selling, selling book. Yeah, a very yeah. big selling book on diet. Um, misquoted what Ansel Keys had done, and and basically accused him of uh, poor research. And uh, and since then, everyone has misquoted Tobes, misquoting Ansel yeah. Keys. And and so, so again, this is why I, th- I think the onus maybe on me as a journalist and on any of my colleagues is if we're going to distribute information about what people should be eating, we we need to be a lot more responsible than we have been. And I say this as a a long-time veteran of women's magazines. We have discussed and written about probably every diet under the sun. And I'm sorry for the way I think that we've done our readers a disservice. I don't think that we've interrogated the nutrition enough. I don't think we've interrogated our relationship with food enough. I don't think the information that we've put out there has been um, strong enough in terms of really educating people about what does this mean? What does wellness mean? Is it only about weight? I mean, we've reached the point as a society where it is easier 
in our heads to go for extreme makeover surgery mm. to lose weight mm. than it is to actually spend two years exercising because we can't get our heads around changing or restricting our di- our, our calorie intake and hard work that goes and into exercising. That. We would much rather be a contestant on a game show <laughs> where we have extreme surgery to suck stuff off our bodies. Like that's, and, that's and, more and the also, reality. Something these about days. weight loss, which is I often get people on Twitter will, will tell me, well, I've been on the LCHF diet yeah. and I've been on it for a month and I've lost 15 kilograms. Uh, and I look at that and I'm not impressed because that kind of weight loss over that kind of period uh, is potentially dangerous. Um, so those people who may have uh, heart issues could, could potentially actually um, make the, the issues worse. Uh, you can cause renal problems with that. You can cause um, hepatic issues. Um, and, and essentially, if you're looking to lose weight, you should be looking to consistently lose small amounts of weight over a long period of time. This is probably why people are confused because – Irrespective of which diet it is, there are no long-term dietary studies that run for more than two years. Yes. None. Not for low carb, not for high carb, not for low fat, not for high fat, not for Oreo yes, which is a lot diet, of arguments not against for apple all diets, of diets. whatever it is. So, and I think again, this speaks to how should we be eating? This was the first question I asked every nutrition expert that I spoke to, and you know they had such an uncomplicated answer: variety. Moderation. The one, in fact, um, uh, oh, who was it? One of those said to me, she, this was the best thing. Make sure you have a colorful plate. Okay, she doesn't mean smarties, right? <laughs> but it's like, that's it. It's like, if you could have a colorful plate of food, that's kind of the answer that you were looking for. That might not help you lose weight. It might not. But whatever, it's nutritious. But, well, you know, but that that's like, that's what you should be eating. That's what we should be eating as humans. A colorful plate that's kind of got lots of variety. What about this debate? I don't know how much you went into it, but what about the debate that, well, you know, we've been around on the planet for several millions of years, and essentially when we were in caves, we went the out with, with a – Yeah, we went – I mean, I think there is some crossover. We went out with a with a spear, and uh, we speared the buffalo, and then we, you know, ate the buffalo virtually raw. I, I think that people who write about paleo diets should maybe spend some time interviewing actual paleo scientists because there's a little bit of – <laughs> Why is that? There's quite a large gap between um, – I mean, well, some of the work that I'm uh, – separate work that I'm doing, non-related to human health – if you look into the origins of uh, the evolution of modern humanity, so mm. Homo sapiens as an anatomically modern species and then later as a behaviorally modern species. We, you know, I, I'm happy if somebody wants to stick to a paleo diet of eating scavenged seal carcasses um, because be- people weren't always able to spear stuff, by the way. Yeah, well, we didn't invent stage. tools at the beginning. No, we did, actually, funnily enough. The did tools we? were there, but not necessarily the hunting stuff. The hunting right, okay. right. technology came later. But So scavenged seal meat, um, mussels off the rocks, definitely, and um, regular sources of uh, carbohydrates by eating roots of plants, okay. totally. So whatever you can find on North Beach, basically. Um, Fainbos. Fenbos systems, that's that's where modern humans came from, is the, the Southern Cape. And mm. one of the reasons why we emerged from the Southern Cape was because a lot of the Fenbos plants have these deep protected root systems that are excellent sources of carbohydrates. Anyway, <laughs> um, that allowed us to yeah, be well, sustainable any root, as any a root community. Sort of vegetable. Anyway, so, so anyway, but paleo diet is like, again, but the, this kind of goes back to, wow, we ha- it's like uh, we, we keep on being retaught mm. how to eat. If you eat like this, you're... We've lost the plot. I've even lost the plot. I think after nearly 20 years of writing about this stuff, I actually can't even look at food without, in my head, telling up 
What is this made of? Where does this come from? Is this grain-fed beef or is this organic beef? Oh my, I've bought feedlot beef. I'm going to be like, I'm going to burn in hell now. And or how many calories are is in this piece of chocolate? If I run, how 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 long do I have to run for to burn off those calories? Why am I thinking of this in terms of calories? It's not calories. It's chocolate. It's delicious. I can't like this is my dialogue as I eat. I think it's many people's dialogue. And that's the problem. Is I think for all of this, it's kind of there is this deep disconnect that runs between us and food. And, I, you know, whether science is making it better or worse, all the science is saying needs more information. Like if this, if we were a computer program or a code, it would be like the code wouldn't run because it needs more information. And that's I feel we're at we're at that stage. Um, I really think that I, I think the community of nutritionists and dietitians who are out there are very supportive. Some of them are more pro high fat eating. And if that's sure. where you're interested in going, then I suppose that's your own choice. But do it with help. I really don't think that doing it based on the guidance of one article on the internet or a book or something like that is going to make you make informed decisions if if you really need to work on your weight, your diet, if you have medical issues. Um, I certainly wouldn't take advice from somebody on Twitter, you included, Dr. Witt. Um, <laughs> but I say, say it's not, I'm going to call you and say, Jonathan, I have this pain in my elbow. What is it? It's like, you're going to say, like, what? I can't see your elbow. You know, yeah. same, the same with diet, really. You wouldn't get a diagnosis that way. So, if anybody's listening and interested, is go and seek more information. Read my article, and you can think it's a piece of rubbish. I don't mind, but go and read some of the sources that are there. Go and don't go and read medical journal entries unless you're actually a nutritionist or a medical yeah. specialist. I, th- I think I think I need to just uh, to interject. There is is really the number of people I have who read abstracts because most people don't have access to the article. So unless you've got university access, I'm I'm lucky to have that at the moment. Um, and unless you've got good access to a lot of these journals, um, a you're just reading an abstract. And remember, even if you do have the full thingy, yeah, it's so, like well, I'm squinting, you know. Well, and that's the, the thing. Terms. So then to look through an article and be able to understand uh, how to interpret the graphs, uh, how to interpret a forest plot, as an example, yeah. to understand concepts like heterogeneity, to understand concepts of research. So understanding that. One research paper, an observational study, is not as good as a cohort, and a cohort is not as good as a randomized control trial. Okay, before you like want to chuck your jargon at us, dude, but just (laughs) to explain the difference between when you've said all these people have contacted you, and me too. It's like I've been on low carb, high fat for two months, three months. It's worked for me. I've lost all this weight. I'm feeling amazing. That's one person, and even if it's ten people. And bully for you, that's awesome. Like I said, well, I, I, I did it through boxing, okay, so totally. My Me losing weight through boxing does not prove that for the entire population of South it Africa works. this would work. We understand that when it's somebody else, but when it's us, we have found – sorry, if you – I mean, I'm, I believe in God, but if you found Jesus through diet or through exercise, great. But it doesn't mean that that's scientific proof works of anything. And so there's a difference between anecdote. It worked for me. It worked for my mom. It worked for my husband. He's having mm. sex with me again. Yay, whatever it is. <laughs> that's not the same as a randomized trial. Um, there are a whole bunch of ethics that come together with, with trials that do go through a sort of medical review process. And, you know, ethically, there's stuff they can't do. They can't induce obesity in humans. They can do it in rats. And rats don't really tell us much about humans, but mm. they can't kind of stick people on a high fat diet or low, whatever to see if it like to Which, see if can it can it make you fat this way. And that's the point. It's, it's, uh, as much as it's jargon, that's the whole point of those different levels of research. Which is that the higher you get in a level of research, the more accuracy you have to be able to say that we can apply that across a certain population. And even then, there are problems because if we look at randomized control trials, which is essentially the concept behind randomized control trials, they were designed for drugs originally. It's essentially I give person A 
a drug. I give person B a placebo and I don't, don't tell, tell anyone, yeah, yeah. including the people studying yeah. who got yeah. what. Yeah. And we have a look. Um, the, the, the issue around obesity is it's difficult to do those studies yeah. because people know what they eat. Uh, they can see it. And, um, we're still learning about this because also it's like, um, Suddenly, you know, it's, it's almost as if medical science is like, oh, my, how did we get so fat? Ah, you know, and then they're trying to figure out retrospectively by analyzing all this stuff. It's like, how did we get here? We are blobs. We are these giant sort of blobby things. Oh, just one of the other things that came up with all the experts I spoke to. And this is where, funny enough, where is their common ground between what Professor Noak says and the human nutrition experts I spoke to? There, there actually is some common ground, and I think it's good advice for all of us. Yeah. Um, is uh, cut out refined carbs and processed carbs and processed foods to try and cut down on those and added sugar. So, in fact, I've pretty much since this article, but I I mostly don't even drink diet soda anymore, but sodas, um, breads, pasta, uh, actually, you know, in moderation, but pizzas, junk food, all that stuff, we that's kind of a lot of the blame for our obesity and probably related things has to stem – has to stem from not whether it's carbohydrate or fat that we're eating, but we're not actually even eating food. We are yeah. eating something that is so far removed from being food. It's mm. like this jumble. It basically, what it's it's food that's created to make our bodies go rawr, like you know, there's something kind of I don't know what's well, in ta- there. It's, it's like, tasty. It's tasty, it's and it tasty. makes you want to eat it. <laughs> it's Absolutely. kind of it's you know the compulsiveness of like delicious pizza. Um, you know, it's it's the sweetie aisles at the shops when you check out, which are evil. I mean, those are actually evil. They are. <laughs> it's like it's like you know, twenty meters of of sweets. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, but cutting out refined carbs or limiting refined carbs and limiting, added sugars. I, I get very nervous when yeah, anything okay. goes to, to extremes. Cut, okay, so and and uh, you know, it's because another argument we we can have another day is the whole um concept of uh, sugar is the new heroin, um, which which. To me, goes too Listen, far. Listen, I mean, I, you know, I'm an addict, obviously. Um, I mean, to my great embarrassment, this is my favorite food story at the moment, is I was really hungry the one day and hadn't eaten, and it was like after lunch, and I went past this home industry, and they had these like chocolate fudge brownies with icing on them, you know, the kind I mean. I got icing on the steering wheel of my car. <laughs> so I was like sitting there in my car like, ah, so I was, you know, indulging my addiction. Yeah, the, the, it's scary. It's kind of, it, it can be very compulsive, but uh, uh, compelling, and the thing is, again, is to point out, to single out one ingredient as the demon. Yeah. It doesn't work. Seriously, we, we, we don't live like that as a population. We also as, don't as have evidence population. for that of any ingredient in reality. I mean, fat's included, and that's, that's the whole concept we discussed earlier, which is that fat is – no one's saying fat is, is the devil, which, yeah. which has been sort of portrayed. It's also, it's also pretty difficult for people to stick to that. So when we say dietary studies haven't – you know, there are no dietary studies that, are, that have continued more than two years, so clinical studies – um, is we don't know what ha- how long people can sustain low carb high fat eating for. Yeah. Um, we don't know what the long term effects are. We don't know what what happens if you relapse. So if you've only been eating high, if you've been eliminating all carbs because that's what's worked for you, what happens if you introduce them again? Because it's really difficult in the society not to eat carbs. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, or pretty much. Or to afford it. So we, we you spoke earlier about the expense. I mean, this is an interesting thing: the cost of your shopping basket. Okay, I know that also. Professor Noakes and the dietitians who work with them have worked quite hard to come up with sort of low-cost ways of shopping. Mm. Um, lots of buying the right vegetables and being smart about the cuts of meat that you buy. So there are ways to approach it more conservatively from a financial point of view. 
From an environmental point of view, another point that was raised to me by some of the nutritionists I spoke to was the environmental cost of high-fat eating, which is we already know we have too many cows, right? We do know that. I mean, you guys have all watched all those documentaries about <laughs> how the cows get turned into square burgers and stuff. Okay? They make too so much methane, yeah. We know we have too many cows. We know the impact of grazing land on um, – on the environment in the world, we know that we're already overfishing. It's not like we should be eating loads more fish and we should be depleting the ocean. We've screwed up our systems pretty much everywhere. Mm. We've created massive imbalance. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to be needing more cows, more chicken, and more fish, that's problematic. So we need to consider that there are going to be knock-on effects from that. And I know Professor Noakes in particular is quite um, – he – he recommends obviously organic or grass-fed beef where possible instead of grain-fed, which I would agree with. I did another story on um, grass-fed or grain-fed beef mm. last year or whatever, and it was fascinating to see that. But grass-fed beef also incredibly – well, a lot more expensive yep. at this point in South Africa, not quite as accessible. And again, the kind of pastures that we need to sustain grass-fed beef would mean less cows, okay. not more. Feedlots make more cows. Grass-fed beef means like less cows that yeah. are happy, okay? That's why you pay more. <laughs> Roaming the, the happy, fields. Happy cows. They're happy before they die. But again, so all of these <laughs> models, they, they all have different implications, and we need to see it as part of a bigger picture. But more than that, I think it's also – I think maybe it's time we, we go back to like this ABC of food because I think we – it's like we've forgotten how to read. We are just jamming to some weird music about this food, and it's I don't think it's working anymore. So um, so if you in, – in sort of one kind of – Sentence paragraph. If you were to tell us the gist of your of your article, of what you what you've picked up, chatting to to all these uh, experts, um, having researched it quite extensively, what's the bottom line? Any extreme eating plan is not a good idea for your health. Okay, and something interesting you said at the end of your article. Maybe I'm ruining your punchline, but essentially, uh, just eat. Uh, Moderation, it's it's a bit yeah. of sometimes a bit of a dirty word, but it's 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 kind of the way we should be going, and it's it's uh, it's eat boring, eat yeah. boring, and and uh, you know like driving with your seatbelt on, it's yeah. uh, it's kind of you know the logical thing to do, yeah, um, is probably the way we should be going. Uh, okay, so that's our hour. I wish we could chat for another two. We no, really could I, go I don't on forever. For sure. It's okay, I'm scared. Um, I just uh, just a couple of a couple of things. Thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, the show will be podcast. You can pick up the podcast on cliffcentral.com uh, under the health hour. The other thing I just want to say is that uh, just some comment from Twitter, which has been that we should be offering Prof Noakes the right of reply. I have offered yeah. Prof Noakes uh, an opportunity to come on this show and an opportunity to have a full hour. Uh, so far, he hasn't replied to me. Um, so if uh, if he wants to, the, the invitation remains open at any time. I'm happy to have this discussion with him and a debate. Thank you for listening to the show. I will not be here next week because I'm in Nigeria. So if I do not get kidnapped by Boko Haram, I, I will I be saw, back you know, the following week. They're not week. interested in you. You've insulted Nigeria, China. Yeah, they don't yeah. want to bring back our boys. Anyway, all right. So uh, let's call it a day and uh, thanks for listening. Cheers.